Good morning, Harlan. How are we doing? Awesome. Hey, good morning to all of you, and especially all of you who may be watching online. We know that summer has us in a season of maybe going a lot of different directions, traveling. Maybe you're out at the lake or you're homesick with kids, whatever it may be, you're at work. Uh, we're just glad that we get to do this, that we get to be together. And uh, we know that when we do this together, we get to experience more of God's power together. So I'm glad to get to be with you today. Like Sagan said, last week, we kicked off a brand new series called The Greatest Promises of All Time. That God is a God of promises. Not, a, not just a God of making promises, but he's also a God of keeping promises. Because anything can make promises. Any person any leader, any God can make promises, but, but we have a God who also specializes in keeping promises. And in fact, over thousands of years of history, thousands upon thousands of years of history, and all throughout the scripture, we see that we have a God who is batting a thousand on the promises that he keeps uh, in our world and in our lives. In fact, a little while ago in our kids' ministry, our phenomenal Heartland kids' ministry that's happening over here, in fact, can we just like... Just give it up for our kids' ministry over there so loud that they can hear us. And we're saying, yes! I don't know if they heard you or not, but just when you pick up your kids later, uh, let them know that we were cheering for them and thanking them. But every week they learn incredible truths about God. And one week they were learning that our God is a God who, who makes and keeps promises. And so that day I was picking up my kids after the service and they said, hey, Dad, can we go out to lunch after church? In other words, hey, Dad, can we spend your money and um, always willing to disappoint my children, I said, no. And they said, well, can we go another time? I said, sure, fine. And they said, well, do you promise? And I was like, yeah, sure, I promise. And then they said, well, do you promise like Jesus promises? So well done, Heartland Kids team. These lessons are being learned by children and parents alike, that God is a God who keeps his promises. So. Uh, God is a God who keeps his promises. He makes them. In fact, if we were to go through the Bible, we would count, some people have tried, over 7,000 promises that God makes in Scripture. And this month, over this four-week series, we're identifying four of what we believe to be the greatest of God's promises. And we want to acknowledge that is an impossible feat to try to pick four of God's greatest promises of over 7,000. But this month, we're going to give it the old Heartland try. In fact, last week, uh, Dan kicked us off by talking about the promise that Jesus gives us of freedom. The freedom that Jesus gives us in the life that we have with him. This week, I want to talk to us about another really big, uh, simple, yet that doesn't, that doesn't diminish how big and significant this promise is. And it's this promise right here. That God is with you. Everyone say that together, even online. God is with you. That God is with you. That in your life, you're going to go through some stuff. That, that your marriage may go sideways. That you may lose your health that your career may bust, your finances may go out the window. But the promise that God gives us time and time again in Scripture is that you and I will not go through these things alone, that he is with you. And on one hand, I could wrap up the message right there, and we could hold on to that, and, and it could have the power to change our week. Or maybe you feel like, you know what, this kind of feels a little bit like God's Promises 101. I could have read that in a Hallmark card, and, and we could, because we hear that all the time. And part of the reason is because God tells it to us in his scripture all the time. And I'm one to believe that when God repeats himself in scripture, it's like he knows we need to hear this. Maybe we need to be reminded of this. And in fact, I wonder what it is in your life, because we all have stuff going on in our life. And what is it that's going on in your life right now that maybe you need to know that God is with you in? 
maybe there's some sort of crisis or decision, some sort of struggle or season that you find yourself in. What is it that you need to know that God is with you in? And just think about that. Maybe hold on to it in your mind. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. See, see, throughout Scripture, this promise that God is with us shows up in so many different places and so many different people's lives and so many different passages of Scripture. But I want to go to one particular place where we read this promise. And it shows up in, a, I think, a really poignant way for us today. And it shows up at the very end of Matthew's gospel. So Matthew is one of the four guys who writes about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And right after the resurrection, Matthew includes some of these encounters of the resurrected Jesus with the disciples. And, and this is one, the final verses of Matthew's gospel in chapter 28. Matthew writes that then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything I've commanded. Jesus is saying, you've seen my power. You've seen the authority that I have. And now I want you to take everything that you've seen and you've learned from me. And now I want you to go and continue the work that we've started. Teaching people here, near and far, all over the world. But even the people that you interact with daily about who I am and about the life that I make possible that baptism is actually the, the picture of this new life and then teaching them how to live in this life to the fullest. It says, into in, in everything that I have commanded you so that they can follow this. And then surely, the last verse, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, if you're one of the 11 disciples gathered on this mountaintop, listening to the resurrected Jesus tell you this, and, and then you hear this promise that surely I am with you, even to the very end of the age, I think that these guys kind of did a, a, a collective sigh of, of relief, maybe. See, the, the, the past three years, these guys have, have spent basically every single day with Jesus, walking with him, watching him, listening to him. They were with him every single day until about three days when they weren't, because Jesus was gone. Not just gone, he was like really gone. Jesus was, was dead. And these guys were on their own. Until Jesus all of a sudden was undead. He somehow miraculously came back from the dead. And now the resurrected Jesus has been spending some more time with them. And he, and he tells them, but surely now I am with you even to the end of the age. So I think the disciples did this like big sigh of relief. And like, whew, Jesus, that's, that's good. Because those three days when you were gone, I was a little rough there, Jesus. You know, things, things were getting pretty bad. Let's not do that again. Because, you know, some of us are still kind of doubting what's happening here. So it was even worse when you were gone. Peter was out in the streets denying that he even knew you. Judas, well, let's not talk about Judas. And, and, and most of us just spent the, the whole time while you were gone just hiding out in a room trying to, trying to make sure that we ourselves weren't getting hurt and what happened to you wouldn't happen to us. But now that you're back, <laughs> whew, I think we're going to be okay as long as you're here as long as you're with us. And that's the irony of this whole promise. Because Jesus says, surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And that's where Matthew's gospel ends. If we want to see what happens next, we've got to flip over to the book of Acts, where, where Luke, who's writing Acts, picks the scene up and he says that after Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. 
Now, if I'm one of the disciples and I just heard Jesus tell me he's with me until the very end of the age, and then the next moment he's taken up before my very eyes into the sky, off to a corner of the sky, and a cloud has hidden him from the sight, this is bothersome. This is a kind of what... What gives, Jesus? In one moment, you're promising to be with me, and the next one, you're floating away Mary Poppins style to some corner of the sky that I can't even see anymore, and you're hidden from me. If I'm one of the disciples, I'm, I'm thinking, did you, did you mean it? Did you mean that you were present with me? Did you just kind of mean it? Was it going to be uh, just like from time to time between now and the very end of the age? Did you just mean you're going to be in heaven just looking down upon me? every now and then, just to check in and make sure I'm doing okay? Or, or is this just the first promise that you're going to break? Maybe you're not a promise keeper. Maybe you're a promise breaker. Because I don't know what to make of this fact that you said you were going to be here and now you're not. Now, why do I raise the tension there? I think it's because this is the very tension that you and I live in in our relationship with God. I think we know and we hear, whether it's here in church or in God's word or from one another, we know that God is a God who continually makes promises to be with us. And yet I think our daily experience of him feels like it's not. Maybe our daily experience of him feels like not so much he's with us, but he's off in some corner of the sky hidden away from us. Why is that? That's what I want us to jump into together today. That Jesus, that Jesus sometimes feels like he's not quite as with us as he said. And so what I believe, what I want us to learn and hear is that when Jesus promises to be with us, he wasn't just kind of promising to be with us. He wasn't just promising to look down upon us. And he certainly was, wasn't going to be the first promise that he breaks to us. But, but when we understand what Jesus, what Jesus meant by this, then we realize that Jesus wants to be perpetually, will be perpetually physically present with you and with me. That he will be walking side by side with you, holding your hand as you go through the complexities and the uncertainties of your life. And he wants you and I to be confident of this, pro- of this promise, to be able to experience this fully every single day of our life, no matter where we are. And that's what I want us to understand today, but how does that happen? Here's, our, here's kind of our really big takeaway. Here's what I want us to walk away from today confident in is that Jesus promises to be with you through the Holy Spirit inside of you. That Jesus promises to be with you through the Holy Spirit inside of you. Everyone say Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, if you're newer to church, um, and we're so glad you're here. In fact, you should know that this church was started three decades ago with you in mind, that we know how hard it is and how many obstacles there are to being able to, to come to a church or to find a people or to experience God if you have questions or curiosity. And so we hope this is a place where you get to experience the, the love and the peace of God here. This, this church is for you. But if you're newer to church, uh, talking about the Holy Spirit may feel a little bit like, like some newer territory, maybe even some strange territory, but not even if you're newer to God and faith or church. Even for those of us who've been around church and God for a while, talking about the Holy Spirit can feel like newer territory, that we talk a lot about Jesus, for sure. We talk a lot about God the Father. But we talk about the Holy Spirit. That, that's not, that's not as, as often. In fact, I, I think that it's safe to say that the Holy Spirit is probably one of the most misunderstood or neglected parts of our faith. 
And, and Jesus wants us to know exactly who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. But to understand why he's so misunderstood or neglected, that's a big question. I want to answer that for us, but it's going to take a couple minutes of doing a little bit of going back to school for a couple minutes. And, uh, and, and so if, can you hang with me if we do 90 seconds of theology? Yes, okay, if you, if you don't want to, you have my permission, take a one-minute nap, and then afterward, the person next to you will catch you up on what you missed. You can talk about it over lunch. So here it is, that, that we believe that God is one God made up of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We call this in the church, what do we call this? The Trinity, that's right, we use that word all the time. Tri meaning three, unity meaning one, that he is one God made up of three persons. Now, if that's confusing, welcome to the club because you have just joined centuries, millennia of theologians and followers of Jesus and pastors and thinkers who've been trying to wrap their minds around this and, and can't quite do so. But it's as confusing and as mysterious as it is, it's something that we see all over scripture. Even though we don't see the word Trinity show up because that's our word for this that we came up with to try to describe this mystery, we see time and time again the presence of these three distinct Three individuals, three people united as one God working together. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, when God decides to create humankind, it says, let us, God is speaking, let us make humankind in our image. Not let me make humankind in my image, but let us, that there's a plurality there. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And yet... God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God. The Lord is one. We read in Deuteronomy. And if that's, that doesn't just get your head kind of upside down, I, I don't know what will. But we see God the Father, God the Son, and Jesus, and the Holy Spirit living in this perfect, unified, eternal relationship of oneness with one relationship, one love, one purpose in this world that they are all about, working together in unique and distinct ways, but as one God. And so God the Father sent Jesus the Son to make known who God is to this world and to restore what has been broken by sin, to make right what has fallen apart. And at the time that, that you or I or any single person places our faith and belief in who Jesus is, that he really is who he said he was, that he really is the Savior of all humankind, and that he can forgive us of our sins and guide us through our life, then in that moment that we stake our life on his, in that moment, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and can come into mine. And when Jesus, school's over, we're back now, okay? So if that intrigued you, you can talk about that for the next couple hundred years and see if you can get to the bottom of it. Um, but when Jesus shows up to the disciples and says, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age, this is what he was talking about. That he was talking about the Holy Spirit. In fact, what Jesus, when Jesus says this to the disciples, it probably actually jogged their mind or it was supposed to, to a while back when Jesus was with his disciples the night before he went to the cross. There's three chapters in John's gospel, 14, 15, and 16. These are kind of Jesus's farewell words. All the things that he wants them to know before he leaves. And the bulk of it, the main thrust of it is the Holy Spirit. He wants them to know who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does in their life because Jesus is with us because of the Holy Spirit in us. And I encourage you this week, maybe take some time and read some of those chapters, John 14, 15, and 16, and just learn some things about the Holy Spirit. But I did a little bit of the work for us so that we could pull out a few headlines 
of things that we want to hold on to today. And, and the first headline is this, as we come to our understanding of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit within you is greater than Jesus beside you. The Holy Spirit within you is greater than Jesus beside you. There's sometimes when I hear about the, the disciples and just the fact that they for three years got to walk with Jesus, got to, got to be with Jesus in the flesh, got to sit on the hilltop, hillside and, and listen to Jesus teach. And then they could go up to Jesus afterward and say, hey, hey, Jesus, what, what did you mean by this? Or, or what about this? What would you say in this particular situation? Or to be able to watch Jesus' compassion on display, to see his miracles firsthand, the ones that we honestly have a hard time understanding or, or believing at times, to see how, how Jesus just lavished his compassion on people, how he navigated some of the religious and political issues of his day, how he walked those lines, how, how he went toe-to-toe with some of the religious know-it-alls that were there that were walking around. Like, wouldn't that be something? Would there be anything better than actually getting to be physically present with Jesus? And yet Jesus says that there is. There is something better than being physically present with Jesus. It shows up in John 16 when he's teaching these disciples. He's saying, it is for your good that I am going away, that it is actually better for you. It is to your very advantage that I am going away because unless I go away, the helper, we're gonna come back to that word here in a second. The helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. This begs the question, why? (laughs) Why is it better for you and me that Jesus goes, goes away? Why is it actually for my good, to my advantage? And here's why. Because Jesus could only be in one place at one time. In fact, there's times in scripture where people were, were kind of angry with Jesus that he wasn't there, that he couldn't be there because he was off doing something important somewhere else, but not doing the important thing that they needed him to do where they were. This is how author J.D. Greer, in a book on the Holy Spirit, that if you're looking for something to read this summer, this might be a good starting point. It's called Jesus Continued. It says, when Jesus was on earth, his miraculous work was contained to wherever he was at the moment. Now that he is in us, the Holy Spirit is in us, his power is wherever we are. Thus, the extent of our works, which he does through us by the Spirit, is greater than anything he accomplished himself in his earthly incarnation. The Spirit inside us is better than Jesus beside us. The Spirit inside of us is better than Jesus beside us. Because the Spirit is in you and me, he can be wherever we are and is not isolated to one place. But here's the other thing. Remember that word helper that Jesus says, it's better for you that I go away because I can send the helper to come be with you. If I was one of the disciples, I would be like, yeah, Jesus, helper? I don't, you gotta be like, like Jesus, we spent the past three years with the savior of the universe. And now you want to send some helper to us? Like, like Jesus, helper. Like I don't need some assistant. I don't need some, some JV part of the Trinity. Which is sometimes what we tend to think of when we think of helper or even the Holy Spirit, which could, be, could not be any further from the truth. It says, says, Jesus, we need something with some real power. And Jesus, listen to how, he, listen to how he, he describes it in another verse. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper 
to be with you forever. Now, Jesus isn't talking about like a fourth member of the Trinity here. Don't worry. He's saying that the Holy Spirit is another helper to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. This word another is big. Because it helps us understand what the word helper means. That Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you someone who can help you the same way that I've helped you. Because I'm a helper too, said Jesus. I came to help you do what you couldn't do for yourselves. In the same way, I'm going to send another helper to be with you after I leave. Someone to help you in the same way that I've helped you. And this, this is huge because the disciples would have known about the Holy Spirit. They would have heard about the Holy Spirit when they were, when they were hearing the scriptures read in the, in the temple about the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters in Genesis 1 before there was any sort of creation, hovering over the waters, bringing forth life and beauty and creation out of the chaos and out of the darkness. That they would have known of the Holy Spirit as, as the Holy Spirit who, who empowered the Israelites in their battles in the Old Testament. That they would know of the Holy Spirit who, who spoke through the prophets and who comforted the people of Israel while they were in exile. They would have known this Holy Spirit. And now they're hearing Jesus tell them that I'm going to send, Jesus is going to send that Holy Spirit to be with you. To actually make his home in you. And that's a pretty jaw-dropping moment when you realize that. That we don't have some JV member of the Trinity, some assistant to jump in when things get hard, but we have the full power of God that is coming to, to make his home in you and me. That the Holy Spirit in you is better than Jesus beside you. But not only that, here's, a, here's another headline for us. The Holy Spirit within you is greater than anything that comes at you. The Holy Spirit in you is greater than anything that comes at you. Because as you read John 14, 15, and 16, there's kind of this theme in there. It's a little daunting. There's this theme of Jesus telling his disciples, hey, after I leave, you should know it's going to get hard. There's going to be some things coming at you. This world's not going to be in favor of you. And you need to be ready for that. But take heart because the Holy Spirit in you is better than anything that can come at you. I want you to go back to that question that I asked you kind of toward the beginning of this message. I said, what is the thing going on in your life? What's the thing coming at you that you need to know God's promise in? That you need to know that he is with you in? Because there's stuff in this room. There's stuff in the lives of some of you watching online. Maybe, 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 online, maybe it's the very reason that you're watching online right now. is because of the stuff that's happening in your life. That just this week, the conversations that I had was, was with a friend here in our church who lost his mom unexpectedly. A couple who, who lost another pregnancy. Um, an individual who's going back to school late in life and, and wondering if they have what it takes at this point when maybe they should be retiring. And a couple who experienced a horrific car accident and it's a miracle that they're still alive. These are our stories. And there's more like it. Because there's stuff happening in our lives. And sometimes I think we forget that Jesus, being fully God, yet also being fully human, how much of life in this world that he experienced. And when we realize that, it helps us be encouraged to know that he can identify with us as we go through the stuff that comes at us from this world. 
there's this ad campaign that's been going on. You might have seen this on your social media or watching professional sports is where I've, where I've seen it. And it's from a, a marketing campaign called uh, hegetsus.com. And what they do is they just put up pictures of people in real life situations and saying, Jesus, Jesus gets this. And here's a couple of kind of examples that Jesus felt alone too. He gets us, that he knows the feelings of loneliness just like we do. Another one is that, that Jesus agonized over the future too. That we get the moment that this individual is experiencing because we have too. But sometimes we forget that Jesus understands that too. Sometimes we just kind of keep him off in his divinity and think, you don't know how it feels, Jesus, but we forget that he was completely human too. He gets us. One of my favorite places I saw this, one of these ads show up was, was uh, during, in, in PNC Park over in Pittsburgh where the Pirates play professional baseball for those of you non-sports fans. And, and it was on the outfield wall. It says, Jesus still believes with two outs in the ninth. Like we need to know that Jesus gets these moments that he understands our lives. The best thing about this ad was it was the ninth inning and there was two outs and the pirates were down. Like the irony of that, right? The even better part is the pirates came back to win the game. So like if that isn't fun, Jesus understands what it's like to go through the stuff in this world that we go through. Now, you know the stuff that the world is throwing at you. Another question is, what was the hardest thing that this world threw at Jesus? Because he went through stuff. He faced temptation and loneliness. He was criticized, ridiculed, persecuted, misunderstood. He was betrayed by some of his closest friends who vowed never to leave him. And yet, the thing that I think the hardest thing, the biggest thing that this world threw at Jesus, I'd say it's death, right? Like, is there anything more that this world can throw at us other than death? And we know that he overcame it, but have you ever stopped to ask the question, why or how? How did that happen, Jesus? Because you were dead. So uh, what was it that allowed you to rise from the dead? Scripture actually answers that question for us in Romans. It's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead. That it was the very power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus depended on. That even God needed to depend on God to raise from the dead. But the even better part of this verse, it's that same Spirit who lives in you. That Paul was writing to a church not too much unlike us, Heartland, to be encouraged to know that the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit who lives in you and me. Because the Holy Spirit who lives in us is greater than anything that this world can throw at us. And that should at least allow us to take whatever it is that we're feeling that's coming at us and be able to have a little bit more confidence as we go into this to know that the Holy Spirit is with us. Now, this actually gets us to a, a almost to a, a promise that we're going to talk about in a couple weeks, and I don't want to steal the thunder there. So just hang with us during these series because I know you're going to be encouraged by it as we come back and dig into that promise. But uh, another headline from John 14, 15, and 16 that I want to throw at you is that the Holy Spirit within you empowers the life of Jesus through you. The Holy Spirit within you empowers the life of Jesus through you, that Jesus spent these three years teaching his disciples how to live their best lives, the life that Jesus had purposed and created them to have. And now he's leaving them the Holy Spirit to help them be able to live that. When I was um, 13, I was barely 13, uh, my first, one of my first jobs was as a golf caddy at a local golf course. So I was maybe like 90 pounds soaking wet, lugging around these, these 
golf clubs for these grown men and, and waking up at five in the morning, being dropped off at the course, hoping to get a loop and, and getting out on the course and being done around two or three and, and maybe, just maybe I'd make 12 bucks and have a hot dog to show for it. Uh, you know, thank God for your first jobs, right? My job was simply to carry the clubs and not get in the way. Um, but I'm fascinated whenever I watch professional caddies because it's so much different. What a caddy does is not just carrying the clubs. Even if you don't play golf, hopefully you'll appreciate that the job of a caddy is to, is to know the course better than the golfer does. In fact, most of the time, the caddy is an even better golfer than the golfer is. If you ever have a chance to play golf with a really good professional caddy, this is what you're going to experience. You're going to step up on a, on a, to your ball and you're going to pull out a six iron to, to get your shot and your caddy is going to look at you and say, no, you want the five iron. Take the five iron. You'll, you'll have a better chance there. You know, they'll let you know about the, the sand trap and the water hazard, the pond that's over the ridge that you don't even know is there, but the caddy does. You'll line up for a putt on the green, and you think that the green's going to kind of go like this. And so you aim to the left, and the caddy's looking at you like, no, you want to go to the right. You're like, oh, okay. Because the caddy knows the course better than you can. The caddy also knows your game better than you do, because we're overconfident. If you play golf, you're overconfident. You think you're a lot better than you are. The caddy knows better. The caddy knows what you have in you and how to bring out the best game from you. In the same way, I think the Holy Spirit is a kind of a caddy that God gives us in our lives because the Holy Spirit knows this world better than you and I do. The Holy Spirit even knows you better than you do. The Holy Spirit knows what's in us and how to bring out the best life from us. And we believe that the best life isn't what we would choose for ourselves, but it's the life that Jesus created us to live. And so our opportunity is, do we want to kind of play golf alone or do we want to take up the, the best caddy that there is to help us have the best possible round ahead of us? In fact, John, John 14, um, Jesus gives the disciples a whole lot of description of what the Holy Spirit does, of how he kind of coaches us along in life. And a few things, the Holy Spirit will counsel us. Jesus says that he will teach you all things. You've been listening to me, but now you're going to listen to the Holy Spirit to teach you. He will remind you everything that I've said. And he will guide you and help you apply these things in your life. That if you've ever read the Bible or listened to a sermon or been in a Bible study and there's a light bulb going off, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comforts you when you find yourself alone or anxious or overwhelmed. It's the Holy Spirit who's there to strengthen you. The Holy Spirit convicts you. Jesus says that, that the, when the Holy Spirit comes into this world, that, it will, that he will expose the lies of this world. And he starts by exposing some of the things in us that like to live in darkness, some of the, the motives, some of the excuses. When we find ourselves kind of creeping up against a line that we shouldn't cross, it's the Holy Spirit that's, that's trying to tell us not to take that step. And then when we do, it's the Holy Spirit who's graciously wooing us back. It's the Holy Spirit convicts us and the Holy Spirit connects us. That even though the Holy Spirit is in your life, while the Holy Spirit is in your life, at the same time, the Holy Spirit is advocating for you before your Father in heaven. That when you're praying, the Holy Spirit is praying with you. That when you're done praying, the Holy Spirit keeps praying. When you don't know what to pray or what words to say, or even if your prayer is even working, the Holy Spirit is still praying on your behalf. And right now is connecting you to your Father in heaven. And the question is, put that slide back up of those four things. 
If this is what the Holy Spirit does, if this is Jesus' presence in us, with us, then why is it that so much of our life feels like he's not present, like we aren't accessing the power of the Holy Spirit? I was thinking about this earlier this summer. Uh, Our family spent a few days down at Table Rock. It's one of my favorite places in the whole world. And we were driving over the dam, and for my kids, it was the first time that they drove over the dam at Table Rock. If you've ever been there, this is, this is what it looks like from above. On one side, you have a 60,000-acre lake, Table Rock Lake, that goes up to 200 feet deep in some, in some places. And then you have like a quarter-mile stretch of concrete, and down a 500-foot spillway, you have the White River. We call it, call it Tanicomo, but it's actually the, the White River. Far less powerful, far shallower, far narrower, not nearly as impressive as Table Rock Lake, right? And the only thing between these two is this little stretch of concrete. I think if we think of Table Rock Lake as the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe the river is our experience of him. Because the scriptures say that we, you and I, have the power to dam up the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the power to quench to put out, to minimize, to limit the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we have access to this, our lives look more like this. And as I was learning about this, I was realizing that the the job of the dam, if that's who you and I are, the job of the dam isn't as much to contain the lake as it is to leverage the power of the lake. And so right along the dam, there are all of these gates right here that engineers can open and close. You'll see a picture of what this looks like as those gates open to let the water, the power of that lake come through. And as it does, it turns generators that generate power for everything around it. And if we want to access, experience the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, I think we have to identify the gates in our lives, in our relationship with God that generate that power. And just to give you a couple examples, these these gates are not some mysterious, inaccessible gates that we have to wait for or pray for that only few people have access to. They're simple, accessible, available to every single one of us. It's the gate of Scripture. That never ceases to amaze me that when I feel a, a, a need of God's guidance or his comfort, that he always redirects me to his, to his word. And I'm thinking, no, God, I'm going to need something more than this. But, but this, this is what he gives us, that these are words, these are not ours. These are written by people all over different places and centuries, but all through the power of the Holy Spirit, preserved by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we read them, it says that the Holy Spirit actually acts as a flashlight to these words to help illumine what they can mean for us and how we live them out in our lives. This is why we teach from this book, why our students and kids right now are learning from this book, because we believe that when we open up this book, we're opening up a gate to the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. But we don't do it alone, because this other gate that we have access to is the gate of community. That when we lean into our relationships with one another, which I know in this day and age is a difficult thing to do, because you're strange, right? We think that about one another, or we're busy. But when we take advantage of our relationships with one another, you have the Holy Spirit in you. I have the Holy Spirit in me. And we get to lean into the Holy Spirit of one another. And you think, well, if I have the Holy Spirit in me, why do I need other people? Because we are terrible at discerning the Holy Spirit alone. You've done that, which is why you've crossed the line, which is why we've felt alone. 
And we've experienced what it looks like to have less of the Holy Spirit in our life. But when we lean into relationships, when we take advantage of meetups and first steps here at the church, when we do Heartland summer nights or our communities, or even this fall when we relaunch midweek, these are opportunities for us to turn the gate of community up in our lives so that we could access more of the Holy Spirit in our life. And when we do this together, Heartland, we actually put the life of Jesus on display to the world around us. It's this last thing. The Holy Spirit within us empowers the mission of Jesus through us. The Holy Spirit in us actually empowers the mission of Jesus through us. I want to, just for those of you who, who love this church, you love Heartland. You pray for this church. You call this church your home. Maybe you've been here forever and you've stuck with the church through thick and thin. Maybe you're newer, but you found your place and you're jumping all in. This is those of you who serve, you give of your time, your money, your passions, your prayers. You do all of this because you want Jesus to be first. It's not about you, it's not about me, but we want Jesus to be first because we know as a church that the only thing that can cut through the noise and chaos of this world is Jesus. We know that the only thing that can, that can, that can attract a, a community that is tired and is divided is the beauty of Jesus. That we know and we believe that the, the only thing that can reach those who are furthest out from God's love is Jesus. And so our mission as a church, our heartbeat is that we make space to build relationships, to make Jesus first. But we cannot do that, Harlan, apart from the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is not only the presence of Jesus in us, the Holy Spirit is the power of Jesus through us. Because he gives us a mission, friends. This isn't just about us. This is for the sake of those around us. In fact, you go back to that mountaintop in Matthew 28, when Jesus says to his friends, he says, hey, I want you to take all of this that we've started, and now I'm putting it on your shoulders. Go forth and do this. Be me to this world in need. Share my love and my teaching. Show them that new life. Show them grace in action. If he had stopped right there, that'd be a good challenge, but we'd be hopeless. We wouldn't make it out these doors without falling on our face. But he didn't. Jesus said to them, and he says to us, and surely I am with you, even to the end of the age. Because of that, our purpose has hope. Because of that, we don't need Jesus beside us because we have the Holy Spirit in us to live the life that Jesus has purpose for us and to help people around us know the life that he makes available to them. And we do it together. And this is what makes the moment that we're about to celebrate together so significant. See, as Jesus spent that last night talking to his friends about the Holy Spirit, he also celebrated one more meal with them. One more meal with his family, with his friends. And he gave them a picture of what was about to happen when he went to the cross. And he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is given for you. He took the, the cup and poured it out and said, this is a picture of my life, which is being poured out for you. So that so that you can spend an eternity with my Father in heaven, where I'm going to prepare a place for you now. But you're not done here yet. 
And so friends, we come to the table to remember who we are, who God is, remember the mission that he has given us. And I encourage you, spend some time and ask God what he's showing you. If, if you're new to church or faith, we won't wanna pressure you into doing anything that feels religious or routine. And maybe this is a time just to ask God, are, are you really there? Is this a promise that you wanna make known to me? And if we can talk with you about what that looks like, we'd love to do so. But let me pray for us, God, Father in heaven. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to do for us what we couldn't do. And because of what he did, we stand on a common ground of grace, messy as our lives are, to receive your forgiveness, to let you know that we are in need of your power. Forgive us for the ways that we dam up your Holy Spirit by looking to other things to teach us or comfort us. And we open up those gates now that your Holy Spirit would comfort us, challenge us, convict us, counsel us, and continue connecting us with you. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.